episodes dropping on Mondays. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. <laughs> oh boy, that's how we're starting it. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, if you're wondering why I began this podcast with a really bad Irish accent, oh yeah, that, that was Irish. It's because I wanted to wish everyone a happy St. Patrick's Day. It's... It's not cancelled, right? We can have one day where we're not riddled with guilt. Going out to celebrate? Stay safe, have fun, call a ride-sharing company if you've had too many soda pops. I'll be at home wearing shamrock glasses, binge-watching Dairy Girls with the subtitles on. Can't get more Irish than that. Alright, on to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars, watch at your own risk. Three stars, standard fare. Four stars, worth checking out. Five stars, must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. Spoilers, they're at a minimum. Tangents, definite to the max. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Days of Thunder from 1990 about a young race car driver named Cole Trickle who's determined to defy the odds and succeed in the world of NASCAR. It was directed by Tony Scott, who also helmed Beverly Hills Cop 2, The Last Boy Scout, True Romance, and another Tom Cruise feature, Top Gun. Along with his brother Ridley, they formed Scott Free Productions in 1970. The screenplay was written by Robert Towne, whose career started off under the tutelage of the great Roger Corman. He also scribed Tequila Sunrise, The Firm, Mission Impossible, and won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for Chinatown. He is a noted script doctor in Hollywood with many uncredited rewrites to his name. Days of Thunder was based on a story he co-wrote with the star, Tom Cruise. The movie starts with the preparations for Daytona 500, the Super Bowl of motor racing events. We're introduced to Rowdy Burns, two-time winner and defending champion. He's portrayed by Michael Rooker, who's appeared in Guardians of the Galaxy, JFK, and The Walking Dead. His rival is perennial contender Aldo Benedetti, played by Don Simpson, who co-produced the movie with Jerry Bruckheimer. We move down to North Carolina, North Kakalaki, where we meet Tim Daland, a race car team owner. He's portrayed by Randy Quaid, who plays a convincing, slick businessman. It's a nice change of pace from his comedic features like Kingpin and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Makes you remember that he can be a pretty good actor. Dayland visits retired crew chief Harry Hogg to try and convince him to build a race car for his team. He quit NASCAR to avoid a crash investigation. Veteran actor and Academy Award winner Robert Duvall aptly portrays the blue-collar character. He agrees to come out of retirement after Dalen dangles a little carrot by saying he's spoken to NASCAR officials and they'll drop the investigation. 
There's a building the perfect car montage, pieces coming into place, revving of engines, aligning of brakes, testing the fuel lines, or whatever you do to make a car. Then Dalen introduces Hogg to the driver he's hired, Cole Trickle, who first appears riding a motorcycle. What can I say about Tom Cruise? I think what I admire most is he'll learn new skills to enhance his performances. To achieve this really exhilarating aerial chase sequence in Mission Impossible Fallout, he actually earned a helicopter pilot's license to execute the stunt himself. That's dedication. And I'm on my third go of Rosetta Stone Spanish. Tensions rise between the experienced hog and the young hotshot Trickle, and this is probably the exact moment I realize that a lot of these names are stupid. They get into physical and verbal altercations. Dallin tries to alleviate things between them. Eventually, they do learn how to work together, and a mentor relationship develops. Various races occurs and Trickle improves. Through trial and error, they win their first race. During a subsequent event, both Cole Trickle and Rowdy Burns are seriously injured, and we're introduced to Dr. Claire Lewicki, who examines and rehabilitates them. She's portrayed by Best Actress Oscar winner Nicole Kidman, whose filmography includes Moulin Rouge, The Hours, and Bombshell. She also starred in two additional movies with Tom Cruise, Far and Away and Eyes Wide Shut. After seeing both of those movies, I wish I was Far and Away with my eyes wide shut. I think Nicole Kidman is one of Hollywood's finest actresses, and she was great in the HBO limited series The Undoing, but I have absolutely no idea why she's in this movie. Her character's only purpose seems to be a romantic foil for Cole Trickle. She's attractive, he's attractive, and the standard Hollywood trope is to have them bumping uglies. She does her best with the paper-thin character. Dr. Lewicki advises the NASCAR representatives that both drivers shouldn't be racing under their current condition. The president of NASCAR tells both teams that they need to control their drivers and play nice to avoid future mishaps. The law is laid down by Fred Thompson, who had roles in The Hunt for Red October, Die Hard 2, Cape Fear, and the U.S. Senate from 1994 to 2003. While Cole Trickle is recovering from his injuries, Tim Dalen recruits Russ Wheeler to drive in his place. He's portrayed by Carrie Elways, known for The Princess Bride, Hot Shots, and Robin Hood Men in Tights. While I've always enjoyed him in leading roles, I prefer him as a villain. You know, look at Twister, Kiss the Girls, Stranger Things. He's really good at it. Tim Dalen, being a shrewd businessman, decides to have two racing teams, which sets up a showdown between Cole Trickle and Russ Wheeler at Daytona 500. In general, I liked the movie, but it's nothing to write home about. It's a fun, entertaining film. A popcorn flick. Completely harmless. Days of Thunder took the good parts about NASCAR, the speed, the noise, the crashes, and took out the four hours of watching left turns. The acting is pretty convincing. I like the relationship between Duval and Cruz, but I wish there was more conflict between their characters before they got onto the same page. It happened a little too fast for me. Even at its length, it dragged in a few places and could have been edited down. I would have liked to see more character development, especially with Dr. Lewicki, or remove her entirely and add more depth to everyone else. I think it would have strengthened their connections. I like the direction of the races. Cameras were mounted on the car bumpers, which made it feel like you were inside the action on the track. It's pretty remarkable to see the point of view of the drivers, especially when there's an accident and they have to weave through the impediment at 200 miles an hour. In general, I'm not a fan of shaky cam, but it works in these type of action-oriented scenes.
The score was composed by the legend Hans Zimmer. What hasn't he scored? He has over 200 credits to his name, which includes the Dark Knight trilogy, Interstellar, Gladiator, and he won an Academy Award for Best Music Original Score for The Lion King. I've admired the way he can combine electronic sounds with orchestral elements, and he always finds interesting ways to use drums and percussion in his works. The score features guest musicians Jeff Beck, Tim Pierce, Randy Jackson, and Paulino da Costa. The soundtrack includes original songs, The Last Note of Freedom by David Coverdale from Whitesnake fame, and Show Me Heaven by Maria McKee from Lone Justice, as well as pieces by Tina Turner, Chicago, Guns N' Roses, Joan Jett, Elton John, and Cher. This could also be known as my iPod playlist on Shuffle. 10, 12 years, 10,000 songs, and that thing is still kicking. The runtime is 1 hour 47 minutes. It had a budget of $55 million, which is steep for 1990, and grossed $157 million at the box office. It was nominated for Best Sound at the 1991 Academy Awards. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Green Flag, Left Turn, Fender Bender, Slip and Slide, Yellow Flag, Concealed Weapon, Crash Into Me, Roosters in the Hen House, and Checkered Flag. I give it 3 out of 5 stars. Add a star if you've watched more than three minutes of NASCAR. If you've seen Days of Thunder and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called MattWatchThat Playback. Now, when I was eight years old, I listened to two albums back to back. Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, and A Night at the Opera by Queen. Talk about having your mind blown. Both albums are incredible, for different reasons. I loved the conceptual flow of Dark Side, and the sheer madness and variety of A Night at the Opera. Queen was the first band that I became obsessed with. I would scrounge up any money I had to buy their cassettes. Yeah, that's, that's not a misspeak. I said cassettes. What struck me most about the band as I studied the liner notes is that each member contributed to the compositions of songs and had major hits individually. In fact, they're the only band where all members have been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Freddie Mercury was responsible for Crazy Little Thing Called Love, We Are the Champions, Somebody to Love, and Bohemian Rhapsody. Brian May wrote We Will Rock You, Fat Bottom Girls, and Flash's Theme. Bassist John Deacon composed You're My Best Friend, Another One Bites the Dust, and I Want to Break Free. I don't think he ever wrote a bad song for the band. Drummer Roger Taylor had big hits internationally with A Kind of Magic and Radio Gaga, which, by the way, is what inspired Lady Gaga's pseudonym. Yeah, that's, that's not her real name. Throughout their 40-year canon, they only co-wrote five songs with outside contributors— Under Pressure with David Bowie, All God's People with Mike Moran, which was actually an outtake from a Freddie Mercury solo album, Doing Alright with Tim Staffel, which was from Brian May and Roger Taylor's previous group Smile, and Too Much Love Will Kill You with Frank Musker and Elizabeth Lammers, though that was technically a Brian May solo song that was revisited during the making of Made in Heaven. You could also toss in Love Kills, which was a song Freddie Mercury co-wrote with Giorgio Moroder, which appeared in the 1984 restoration of Metropolis. I saw that version. It was weird. 
They also played every instrument you heard on their records with minor contributions here and there from outside musicians, but oftentimes they'd learn how to play those instruments themselves. For the song You're My Best Friend, John Deacon had to learn the Wurlitzer electric piano, which gave it that memorable melody. If there wasn't technology available, they'd create it themselves. Brian May's red special guitar was constructed with his father from wood off the fireplace mantle. John Deacon invented the Deakey amp, which produced some of Queen's signature sounds. The point is, they're a talented group of guys. I mean, one's an astrophysicist. While I loved their albums, Sheer Heart Attack being my favorite, their live shows were incredible. I actually prefer when it's just the four of them on stage playing in concert. I feel like they sometimes overdid the production in the studio, but with a name like Queen, you have to be a bit bombastic, right? Most people tout their appearance at Live Aid to be the greatest live performance ever, and with the success of the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm glad Queen is getting the recognition they so rightly deserve. I'm going to post three videos which focuses on the blending of voices from Freddie Mercury, Brian May, and Roger Taylor. They utilized overdubs to create those trademark Queen choruses. The first two are You're My Best Friend and Hammer to Fall, which showcase their three-part harmony. The third is Bring Back That Leroy Brown, where Freddie Mercury provides all the vocals. Since they're vocal tracks only, there'll be moments of blank sounds, so be patient. They're all available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yep, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with a recommendation of my own of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Relic Hunter. The series is about archaeologist Sidney Fox and her assistant Nigel Bailey as they embark on adventures around the world to procure relics. I think it was created to cash in on the popularity of the Lara Croft Tomb Raider video game franchise. It starred Tia Carrera, who I met at Mel's Diner when I went out to Los Angeles. She was with a group of people, but our eyes met for a moment, and it was kismet. <laughs> no, she uh, she gave me the kindest smile, mouthing the words, hi. I'd been a fan since Wayne's World, but that day solidified it. She couldn't have been sweeter. She is perfectly cast as the main character. She is completely believable as a college professor and formidable as a butt-kicking, globe-trotting hunter. Ms. Carrera gets to show her versatility with this role and balances drama, comedy, and action quite effectively. It looks like she's having a lot of fun. Her assistant, portrayed by Christian Anholt, is not. The character seems to have been written as a Hugh Grant type in Notting Hill, but with absolutely no backbone. At first, I think it was supposed to be charming, but around episode 13, I was like, this dude needs to grow a pair. I don't mind that he's a passive character, but his simpering cowardice can be grating at times. No, no, I don't think we should go in there. It's like, shut up. <laughs> the show has the longest title sequence I've ever witnessed with at least one minute and 20 seconds of images over a swashbuckling theme. When you think it's about to end, it just keeps going, kind of like this podcast. Each episode starts with a flashback to show the significance of the relic before moving to present day, where Sydney and Nigel are asked to retrieve it by concerned parties. There are good action sequences, which include martial arts, sword fighting, and impressive stunts. It's a syndicated series, which means the budget wasn't huge, but that's not to say that it was cheaply made or looked shoddy. I would say that the show exceeded all expectations on that front. 
It was filmed in Canada, and the production crew does an admirable job of turning Toronto into Nepal, Italy, Ireland, or Czechoslovakia. Overall, it's an entertaining series that I missed the boat on during the original airings. This is where having dozens of streaming services is beneficial to the legacy of a show. Relic Hunter was on for three seasons, 66 episodes, from 1999 to 2002. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need those listeners. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, everybody out, please. He also scribed tequila, tequila, son. Oh, Jesus. Sounds like I'm, I'm on tequila. <laughs> John Vegan, John Vegan. It's a syndicated series, which means the budget was Which, by the way, is what inspired Lady Gaga's pseudonym. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Batten down the hatches. That was something new.